All right, Matthew 5, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. I'd encourage you, if you brought your Bibles, get them out. uh, This is going to be a little bit different preaching style for me tonight. Um, It's going to be a lot of Scripture. And I'm I'm just going to try to pause every now and then and let you think for just a second. Imagine that. Put on your thinking caps. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, now let me stop just a second. This again is right on the heels of the Beatitudes. This is Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' teaching. Okay, so if you will accept this, this is a time for you to realize you are sitting under the teacher, the teacher being Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is a scripture of teaching to us, saying, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, trying to say everything that's been done prior to me coming, I'm not trying to uproot that. What has been done, what, is, what has come until now is still good, it's not bad, I have come to fulfill it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, nor the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? Hang on just a second. Go back. We are not to set aside any of what? The law. Right? The scriptures that have come before Jesus' teaching. We're not to set them aside and we're not to teach against them, right? The ones that do that will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. Now this is the the verse I want to really focus on tonight. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Just leave that one up for just a few moments. Read that one again. Read it on your own. And what does it say to you? What it says to me is, is if I'm no different than this other person here in the world, I'm not not entering into the kingdom of heaven. I'm supposed to be different than the world. How many, and let's not think about someone else, but how many of us have lived a Christian life, but the world would never be able to tell the difference? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which means... Our righteousness. We should, there should be a sign, there should be some outward appearance in my life that shows that I walk a different walk than the world walks. Do do y'all catch that? These, all these scriptures in in the, and that's why I've been asking for the last two weeks, be reading chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Just kind of just be chewing on it. Why? Because if you'll just stop for a minute on one verse, you will, the, the, the lights will go on. 
I've got to make sure God is seeking after righteousness. And he's trying to see, he's wanting to see, is my righteousness different than the Pharisees? What's different about Paul? Because there is a requirement for Paul to show that his righteousness surpasses that of the world. If he really is following me, he's going to be different. Now, let's go into that just for a second. The entrance into the kingdom of God is by the righteousness of heart. I believe it's what we were singing all night tonight. Um, we, we do not, I, I will, Tammy and I can tell you, we do not orchestrate my, necessarily my sermons with the way that the, the music goes. Sometimes we do a little bit, but not tonight. And I believe tonight's entire singing was about your heart. I don't know if you caught that. But just the uh, come thou fount and seal my heart, Lord, here it is for you. Take my heart. The entrance into the kingdom of God is by the righteousness of heart, not by some hypocritical or external legalities. It's not by your religion. It's not by your games, but by a truly righteous heart. What good are games? And this is only possible by Jesus literally, actually reigning in your life. The only way that you can take on the righteousness of Christ is by following Christ wholeheartedly. That's, that's when we gain his benefits, it's when we give our hearts completely to him. Right? When we become an heir of Christ is when we are truly a Christ follower. Well, how do we know we're truly a Christ follower? When our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. When we genuinely start to show a difference in our life. What I'm talking about is real change. What Jesus is preaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is trying to connect with you for real change in your life. It's going to start by being obedient to the Lord. And as you're obedient to the Lord, the Lord's going to bless you. All these things are going to come and find you and overtake you, but it starts with your heart. We can't command and demand all these things until our heart. We don't even have to command it and demand it. God commands it and demands it. We just have to follow it. We just have to meet the requirement. This scripture has followed the eight Beatitudes. Jesus is teaching us how to measure our heart. He's trying to say, I want you to learn how to identify whether you're following me or not. Because it's, it's very important to me, Jesus would say, that you recognize whether you're, behind, whether you're going the right direction. I'm giving you my word so that you can know when you're out of the, out of the uh, path. So, one way to know is look at your righteousness. How do we do that? The way that he, he shows us how to measure our heart is by his word. Am I lining up with his word? It's a great question for you to ask yourself regularly. In my walk, am I, is my walk lining up with his word? And Jesus gave us a few measuring sticks of how to know the state of our heart. You know what one of them is? And I've been over this before, but we're going to do it again. We're back here in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We're going to stay here for uh, I don't know how long. 
Um, I don't think we can go wrong, and I think that you will find that as we dive into Matthew's five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it'll take us throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus' teaching does not contradict any of it. It takes us to it. Why? Because it's his word. So, you know one way that we can check our measuring stick to know how, whether we're walking with Christ or not? By our fruit. By our fruit. I was talking to a couple deacons this week, and you know, we're, we're, uh, as, as we talk through things in spiritual terms, in spiritual sense, and in leadership, a lot of times my, my statement will be, you know, from the outside it looks this way, but where's the fruit? Let's quit looking at all the bells and whistles. Where's the fruit? Because the fruit, you can't cheat the fruit. You can't cheat that part. You can probably cheat everything else. We can get a goose bump. We can get, we can get going. But where's the fruit? You can't show fruit unless real change has occurred. It's impossible. Fruit can't be um, birthed, for lack of a better word, can't be blossomed unless it is connected to the source. It's impossible. It will stop. Have you ever seen a fruit that started to blossom but it stopped? It lost the source. It's a way, when we start bearing fruit, we can know we are connected to the source. The problem is, was it good fruit or bad fruit? That's a good identifier. Bad fruit means I'm connected to something incorrect. I, I, I've connected to a lie. Something happened to me tonight, and I'm such a, I'm such a time-oriented person. I love a clock. I love knowing I'm on the right time. This one's downloaded from uh, Colorado, wherever the main time comes from. It gets the right time, but it says 8.15. I thought, well, I just won't preach. It's already 8.15. We'll just go home. It's not 8.15. It's 7.15. But this is how we can live by a lie. This is a lie. And I could buy into it and say, hey, this is the latest and greatest thing. It's the right thing. They advertise it. It says it's great and everybody, everybody does it. But it's a lie. And when I start bearing bad fruit, you know what that's to show me? I get in God's word. All of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, I've bought into a lie somewhere. Where is it? Because I need to uproot that lie and get myself planted back in the truth. So we've got to look at our fruit. What kind of fruit are we producing? You can put on a show, but you can't fake the fruit. And let me tell you something else you can't fake. You cannot fake the Beatitudes. As we dive into these, you can't fake those. Your flesh won't let you. You can't do it in your flesh. You can't do it. But you can do it by His Spirit. We can do this. All right, so let's look at that scripture, Matthew 7. This is still in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 17 through 20. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Don't check out on me. This is our life, Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching about a tree. 
He's, he's, he's putting a picture together for us because we won't hardly hear it any other way but the most basic way. And even then, we wanted to say, oh, I know the scripture. I can even repeat it, but I'm not going to live it. What needs to happen is we need to live it. So we look at our fruit. Scripture says, well, if I've just produced bad fruit, but I think I'm good, nope. Scripture says, nope. I've bought into a lie. I've plugged into something bad. Oh, that can't be right. That fruit can't be right. Let's try another one. You're like the goose that lays the golden egg. And it beep, beep, good. You know, y'all seen the movie and then the bad eggs anyway. No, it can't be right. Something's wrong. That's a bad egg. We must have got something wrong. Let's try it again. Bad egg. Do it again. Bad egg. Do it again. Bad egg. But Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to church and I'm you know, living a good life, bad egg. God's trying to say, here it is. You have plugged into the wrong thing. Unplug. I'm going to show you what it is. If you'll just give me a moment, get back in my word, I'll show you where that root of bitterness, where that unforgiveness, where that stumble, where that sin, where that addiction, where that thought came in your mind, and I will help you get rid of it. You, like I said last Sunday, you can't attack a spiritual problem with a physical substance. You can, but it won't fix it. It might cover it for a little while, but that thing is going to come back. God says, let me pull the plug on it. I can kill the power to that sin. Nothing else in this world can, but I can but the first step is to look at your fruit. What kind of fruit am I producing? Okay, glad you asked me. In this context, you know what Jesus is teaching? He's teaching us how to identify the wolves in sheep's clothing. Do you know that e even inside your camp, there can be enemies? How many of, let me ask a, the, maybe a funny question. I mean this to be funny. How many of you realize that you could be the enemy in your camp? And you're spirit-filled and love the Lord and trying to do everything right. But sometimes I can, be the, I can be the enemy. I can mess up. I can get off track and start taking other people off track. Jesus is saying, look at your fruit. Don't look at your neighbor's fruit. Look at your fruit. You're a fruit. You are, but which one is it? Your fruit, do you know what your fruit identifies? Your fruit identifies your character. Your fruit identifies your true nature. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Same scripture. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. Can you, can you hear what he's saying your fruit identifies you. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Can you see right now how to identify your fruit? The first way is by your mouth. 
That nastiness coming out of your mouth is not a fluke. It has been stored up in your heart and it is pouring out of your mouth. And it is God saying, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Did you notice what just came out of your mouth? It's bigger than, man, I shouldn't have said that. No, there's a root to it. God says, I, 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 have, I have given you my word. And I'm trying to identify that there's a root connected to that word that just came out of your mouth. You know, I don't like that word that was just said, but let me tell you, I can forgive that. I, we can get past that. There's forgiveness and redemption and, and healing. But there's a root to it. I can remove it. I'm not just talking about having a bad mouth. I'm talking about having a sin that you can't shake. I'm talking about having a relationship that you can't heal. I'm talking about having a, an unsuccessful in your, in your producing as a man. Same thing as a woman. There, if we're not producing, if we're not successful, if we are not... If we are not um, uh, if God's not blessing every area, there's something blocking it. And let me tell you, it's not God. God's given us the answer to get it unblocked. We are constipated. And we need freed up. We think we got it all together, but then we turn around and we got problems in every area. And we can't get out of them. Did you ever think the problem might be you? Do you know that that's what, the, that's what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is about? Dealing with your problems. <laughs> not, not your circumstances. You. Deal with you. All the circumstances and the stuff will part. They'll melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Man, this is so good. I'm almost getting excited, and I'm the, I feel like I'm the only one excited about it. You know, the Lord is just saying, you know what? I'm trying to deal with you. I love you so much. I want this to be good. I want your life here on earth to be great and awesome and impacting and world-changing. And for you to walk around and be a, be a healer, not a, um, not a disaster waiting to happen. How many of you walk into a room and you're a disaster? Or disaster follows you? You ever know somebody that doesn't matter what they touch, they break it? I know people like that. I'm like, don't touch any of my stuff. Go away. There is something wrong with you. When I show up, I want to improve the situation, not make it worse. And let me tell you, I have been on the worse side way more than I've been on the better side. Can anybody relate? Sometimes I'm just gas on the fire. But you know what the Lord called me to be? He called me to be a peacemaker. You know what he called you to be? He called you to be a peacemaker, a relationship healer, not a relationship terror, a parter. <laughs> Is that a good word? <laughs> All right, can we look at our fruit? Jesus, look, look what he says here. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus is leading us to learn to identify our issues. Look at the fruit. 
How do you do that? Listen to what's coming out of your mouth. When your heart is full, your mouth speaks. And I want you to know when your mouth speaks, it identifies you. What God is saying is let it identify you to you. Everybody else already hears it and is identifying you with what's coming out of your mouth, with your fruit. But what the light bulb needs to go off in you. It needs to be identified in you, to you. Jesus is trying to identify you to you. But let me tell you, when it comes to our mouth, you cannot control your mouth without a true heart change. We've studied the mouth. We've studied it a lot, the tongue and the power behind it. But let's go back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. We says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, let me ask this question. This is a question I, I like to ask regularly. God, what do you want? I find myself saying that to my wife a lot. Because I, me... I believe this goes for men and women. We don't understand each other at all. We can say, I want vanilla ice cream. She can say, I want vanilla ice cream, but that's not really what she meant. It's what she said. It seemed relatively simple. But there's 40 other things that go along with that that I, am, I, I just miss. And she does the same thing with me. Poor, poor my oldest daughter, Rita Marie's 15, and she's learning to drive. And it is so funny how, how the Lord will start to identify who you are with your kids. Have y'all ever watched a Christmas story and the mumbling that the dad does? You know, you got to watch the clean version because it can get pretty rough. But I find myself, I don't find myself saying four-letter words, but I find myself mumbling a lot of stuff. Elizabeth one time yelled, hug it left. And I'm like, Lorita Marie's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know, what does that mean? That was the funniest thing, hug it left. What is she, Ricky Bobby? You know, what, what is going on? And Rita Marie's like, does that mean turn left, bear left, or Yes, just last week, the garage door, she had pressed the button to close the garage door and it didn't shut. It just sometimes, y'all know, every now and then it just gets hung up and it goes back up. Well, I just scream. I'm in the back seat. Stop. Well, Rita Marie likes to know why. What, what's the deal? You know, I understand stop and I'll stop, but why? What's going on? I'm driving. We're going somewhere. We're in a hurry. Why? And I couldn't get it out of my mouth. All I could do was stop the car. Stop the car. Stop the car. And I'm getting mad and I'm getting angry. But she doesn't understand me at all. We've, so many times I will ask my wife and Rita Marie will say, why? Why? I need to learn why. When I'm driving down the road and you have this thing in your mind and you just had me do something, why? Why? Because she wants to put two and two together and un have understanding. We need understanding. We need understanding of God's Word. You don't need to hear another sermon. You've heard the sermon. You need understanding. We need it to go into the point that we buy into it and say, yes, I will do that. 
So, so many times with my wife, I will just specifically say, what do you want? Tell me like a five-year-old. And you know what? Finally, she breaks it down like that. I'm like, oh, I got it. I am smarter than a five-year-old. Or I'm as smart as a five-year-old. I got it. But her communicating sometimes to me, I don't get. Sometimes God says it in such a clear way, but we don't get it. You hear it, you agree with it, man, that was a good word. But you go out and keep walking the same way, and you wonder why we keep winding up in the same spot. We need understanding. So I want you to ask this question, God, what do you want? And I'm out of time. Let me, let me just get in here just a little bit. Do you remember the scripture that says when you come to the altar with your sacrifice, when you come into the sanctuary to worship the Lord, what does he say? If you've got a problem with someone, go get it right. Now, God didn't just put that in there just so that we could ignore it and let our problems just stay there the rest of our life and come in here and think we're going to worship and think we're really connecting to God and think we're really obedient. No, we're not. We need understanding to the point that we will walk it out. If not, we are no better than the Pharisees. You're getting healed up with that relationship is for your benefit. The other person may choose to walk the other way. That's not your problem. The pressure's off. My problem is is to go get it right. Before I bring my gift to the altar, go get that relationship right. Now, is that easy or is that hard? It's hard. You'll see as... as, as, uh, The Sermon on the Mount ends. Do you know how it ends? Narrow is the way and difficult is this way. This way is hard. Jesus isn't trying to say, man, this is going to be easy and you're just going to tiptoe through the tulips the rest of your life, forgiving people and doing everything right and having the right attitude and winning over your flesh. Nope, Jesus is saying this is going to be hard. But this is the way. This is the way. If we do it the easy way, we're going to wind up with death. We're going to wind up with problems. We're going to wind up with brokenness. We do it his way, we're going to wind up with healing, with a full heart, with a vibrant spirit. Man, are you all with me? Matthew 5, 23. Let's just look at it real quick. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, doesn't even say if you got something against your brother, if you think they're upset with you. It's even harder. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to them, then come offer your gift. What is God dealing with? He's dealing with your heart. Don't worry about your gift. That's all I've got the rest of the night on Scripture is about your heart. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to buy somebody something than to make it right with someone? Did y'all hear that? A lot of parents will do this now, that when, when something's wrong, they'll go and just shower them with gifts but not ever deal with the issue. Let me tell you, you are doing your child a disservice, and it's wrong. Deal with the issue. Help your children learn to deal with issues. 
you know, gifts are great, but gifts come after the relationship's right, not to fix the relationship. A gift doesn't fix the relationship. Your heart fixes the relationship. Are, are y'all connected to that? It's easier to give a gift than to make peace. You know what you're saying? Let me buy you something and not change. Let me give you something and I'm going to stay the way I am. And hopefully you're going to let me buy with it because I just bought you a gift. But I'm not going to change. The Lord's telling you, leave your gift and give me your heart. 1 Samuel 15, 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. I want you to see how the Lord ties together Matthew chapter 5. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in, as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than that of the fat of rams. I want you to notice never in Jesus' teaching does he contradict his word from start to finish. God wants your heart, not your stuff. God wants us to first love him and obey him. Psalm 40, verse 6. Now, I love Psalm 40 because it talks about, I don't know if you've ever heard the song by you 2 um, It's just called 40. Um, can you go, uh, let me just read it to you. I'm not trying to say go buy u twos music. But they sing a song called 40 and it's straight out of Psalm 40. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. May many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have opened. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you do not require. But then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Man, David had God's number. David just didn't have God's number. David had God's heart. Now, David did not get everything right. In fact, he made many mistakes. But that never, it is because of David's heart that he would repent and come back and get right. David had a heart toward God. Psalm 51 verse 16 says, You don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, heart, you God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of righteousness in burnt offerings and whole, uh, offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Do you catch what he's saying? He's saying if you'll get your heart right... 
then I'll take your sacrifice. Then I will delight in your sacrifice. Am I reading it too fast? Can you go back to verse 18? Uh, Verse 17. Do you see, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. Can Can you relate that to blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are the ones that can identify themselves as someone who is in great need of God. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. This is beatitude number one. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. Then it goes on to say in verse 19, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings offered whole. The sacrifices of the what? Of the righteous. Your righteousness is to be different than the Pharisees. Then he will delight. I'll stop there. I got just a couple more, but we'll stop there. Church, I believe that the Lord is, is, is leading us to... Um, I believe we're getting a line drawn in the sand. I believe that we're getting truth. I believe the Lord in, in, Psalm, in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is first has to happen is understanding has to come. Second has to happen is obedience. We've got to walk it out in obedience. And I want to encourage you, get in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just take a little bit of time each day and just read a little bit and ask the Lord to show you. Now, I want you to know as your pastor, I'm doing the same thing. For this sermon tonight, that's all I did. I just opened up Matthew chapter 5 and I just started. And I just said, okay, God, what do you have to say to me right now? And it was that our righteousness should be different than the Pharisees and that those that teach the law. My righteousness needs to be different. The only way that's going to happen is by me allowing the Lord to fill me up and an outpouring out of me come from that. That means I need to identify what roots I'm plugged into that are incorrect. What fruit am I bearing that's wrong? What's coming out of my mouth? The Lord's saying, what's coming out of your mouth? I'm going to show you what your fruit looks like. If it's good, that good fruit couldn't have come out of a bad tree. That good fruit shows me I am on the right track. The bad fruit shows me I am not. Will you all stand up with me? I'm going to bless you. And may the Lord bless you indeed and enlarge your territory. And Lord, that your hand would be upon this church right here, Lord, and these people. And that you would keep our heart from evil. I thank you, God, that you are a God who blesses us. You are a God who protects us. You are a God who cares for us. And you are our very present help in time of need. I thank you for the, for the tongue and interpretation tonight, Lord. I thank you for the mighty presence of the Lord that's in this place tonight. I thank you for the word that was given by you, Jesus, and the price that you paid for us to be able to walk an abundant life. But Lord, I just cry out to you and I just ask you, Lord, how do we start to walk in your light How do we start to walk? Oh, I just ask you, Lord, in every person's heart here tonight that's willing, 
show us this first step to walking out of our miry pit. Lord, you're going to provide every step. You're going to provide every provision, but we're going to do the walking. We're going to do the walking. We are going to walk out, and we're going to walk out under the power of the Holy Spirit. The prodigal son in the pig pen had to walk out of that pig pen. He was not carried out of that pig pen. He walked out back to a father that was desiring him back, ready to restore him back to a son. I pray for restoration and healing, Lord, as we start to walk this thing out. Let us have understanding and let us walk. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a great rest of the week. We will see you Sunday morning, 1030.